0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Hey, so next week, uh, I know Jonathan mentioned it a little bit, but we're going to do a Q&A Sunday. I love doing those. I think they're fun. I, but that means you need to ask your questions. And so if there's any question that came out of this sermon series... Uh, anything that I said, maybe something that wasn't clear or maybe something you maybe totally disagree with or maybe just, just a question, uh, write it down on one of the uh, cards in the back of the seat in front of you and then drop it off in the box on your way out. You can also email the church office, but if you can do that earlier in the week rather than later in the week, I'd appreciate that. Um, but ask your questions. and they don't have to be directly related to the sermon series. It could be whatever God uh, whatever it is that the, maybe God has laid on your heart or whatever it is that, you're just, that you just would like to hear me you know, talk about or, or answer. So we're going to do that next week and then we'll, then we'll, uh, that will be it for this sermon series. All right, if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We take the Word of God, to be ver- we take it very seriously. We believe it is the Word of God. The reason why I ask you to stand is I honestly, I really do believe this. I do not believe I have anything really good to offer you except for what's in this book. And that's why I ask you to stand uh, to honor its reading. So we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning with verses uh, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You may be seated. So this is it. Like, I'm kind of bummed. I've really enjoyed the sermon series. But uh, Christians say the darndest things. And uh, as you know, every statement that we've looked at has been a statement that I've heard. I didn't exhaust all the statements I heard. Like, like I think it was in the second service maybe it was in the first service I said something you know I've heard Christians say you have no right to judge me that should have been something in the sermon series maybe that's a question you can ask and I can answer that next week but uh that should have been in the sermon series there's a, there are other statements that could have been in the sermon series somebody suggested maybe you could do a part 2 sometime you know in, in the future where I do other other statements it's been fun for me but what I want to do today is not address something that christians say although this is something that christians should say and do say our god is awesome I just want to look at the character of god in light of everything that we've talked about throughout the sermon series So i'll kind of remind you some of the things that we talked about in the sermon series as a way of just highlighting these different names of god Uh, for, For starters, what does awesome mean? It means to be filled with awe literally and here's one of the takeaways I, I hope that you'll walk you'll go home with you're not awesome and neither am I there's only one who is awesome and that is the God of all creation he's the one who inspires all in us and uh, and it is this God who has invited people to know him and to be known by him that's like that's the, the great news of the gospel that it, God was so serious about us experiencing who He is that He made a way for us to know Him and He sent His Son to, to, to live the life that we could never live and then, he, you know, the perfect life after He was born of a virgin and then He died on a cross under the wrath of God, a wrath that we deserve to experience for our sin. Jesus did that. He was a perfectly innocent person, the only innocent person on planet Earth um, since, since Cain killed Abel. And, uh, And he went to that cross for you and for me. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. And God did all that so that we can know him and to be known by him. There are different ways that God has revealed himself. There's two main ways. There's, And theologians call it general revelation and special revelation. Here's general revelation. If you look around the room and you see the the human being sitting next to you, that's general revelation. God has revealed the fact that he exists That he created all that we see around us by the things that we see and the people that we see. Right? Like you go outside. Soon, hopefully soon, there will be leaves on trees. There's design and purpose behind behind trees and and, the birds and the the songs that they sing. and Just everything that we see tells us and that just doesn't tell us. It screams the existence of God. But that's not enough for us to know him personally. So... The way he has revealed himself personally is what theologians call special revelation. He is, you know, that's where he is revealed himself in a very personal way. He did that through the prophets. Uh, he, he did it through his son. He does it through his word, the Bible. I, the way I think of it is that, think of creation as kind of the, the, the packaging that God has designed. And in that package is the, what he has revealed about himself. In this case, the Word of God. It would be weird if you, just, if you never opened the package. The whole point is not that you just stare at the package. The whole point is that you, you, you see what's inside that package. Like, okay, so God exists, and now he's invited me to know him, and this is how I can know him. I can know him through his son. C.H. Spurgeon, I, I don't have the words on the screen, but he's a famous pastor in the 1800s. He said this, he said, I believe that the proper study of God's elect, that is the Christian, is God." The proper study of the Christian is the Godhead, that's the Trinity. Uh, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the the mightiest philosophy which can ever be engaged, or that can ever engage the attention of the child of God, is the name, nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of this great God. We're made to know Him. In fact, we even looked at the passage in Jeremiah. You know, Chapter Nine, where Jeremiah says, "Hey, if you want to boast about anything, here's what's worth boasting about: that you know and understand the God who spoke everything into existence and has invited you to know Him." And at the root of uh, of some of these statements we looked at is just it's just a not not fully understanding or knowing who who God is with some of these things. Like, for example, you know, <laughs> um, like. God helps those who, who, who help themselves. But when you read the Bible, we're, we're, we see that, no, God actually helps the helpless. He's a God who helps the helpless. Like, I... There are clever statements and ideas floating out in the church that sound good but have no biblical weight to them. Like the statement, you're enough. I'm not enough. <laughs> That's the point. Like there's nothing in me that, that, that can even you know, approach God in a way that, that, that would warrant me to be able to enter into heaven. I'm not enough. God is enough. He helps the helpless. Like when Moses came to the burning bush because like he saw this burning bush it wasn't consumed and Moses was like wow I gotta check this thing out why is it that this bush in the desert is not consumed so he walks up to the bush and then God speaks to him through the bush and then he tells him look I want you Moses to lead my people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt which was a superpower at the time I want you to lead them out yes you Moses and uh and that's, that's what, I'm planning on doing it that way. And Moses under, rightly understood that he was not equipped for the task. Like, I don't have the ability to do this thing. In fact, God, you should know this, I have a hard time speaking in public. And, and so God, and they went back and forth, and God said, Look, Moses, who made the deaf deaf and who made the mute mute? He said, Not I. I can use whoever I want to use. The point is not you. The point is what I'm going to do through you, and, and we see this theme all even in the New Testament, like when Jesus said, "Those who are well have no need of a physician." He was, he, he was, I think, being kind of sarcastic regarding the posture, the religious posture of some of the Pharisees. They thought that they had the corner on God, like they knew it all, and they that they were living holy lives. And he said, you, "In reality, you're actually deaf." He said, but those who, who are sick, those who I can't, those are the people I came to or I came for. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus also said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what? The lost, if you remember that verse. I don't think that's on the screen, but yeah, he, he came to save the lost. He is Yahweh. Yahweh is God's most personal covenant, covenant, covenant keeping name. He is the God who doesn't go back on his promises. He is the God whose yes is yes and his no is no, period. He is the God who is able to do the impossible. And he is the God who uses imperfect, flawed, jacked up human beings like Moses, like you, and like me. And he, he not only uses us, he calls us into a relationship with him, and he calls us his own, like a son or a daughter. And, you know, we looked at the statement that you've heard, you know, God only... You know, or. or God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, he frequently does give us more than we can handle. <clears throat> Why does he do that? Because he's sufficient and we're not. Like Paul, the, the Apostle Paul said, you know, I prayed multiple times. I prayed over and over again that God would remove this thorn that was in my flesh. It was a physical thing that I believe was, 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 was affecting Paul. He wanted it gone. He wanted it to go away. He was... It, it, it was it, it, it was consuming in a lot of ways for him and he prayed, God just remove this thing and God said, "No, nope, my power is uh, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. I'm not going to take it away from you." Sometimes when we pray and we ask God to do something and he doesn't do the thing that we want him to do, we think that he is not that, that he's not listening to us. We think that he's deaf to our prayers, but the reality is is he probably did answer your prayer, but not in the way that you wanted him to. He answered Paul's prayer, but not in the way that he was hoping. He said, so that to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul wrote, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. And yet it was God's grace that he found, that, that he discovered was sufficient for him. And it was his power, God's power, that was made perfect in Paul's weakness. And the same thing with, like, we see that in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 99 years old. Hey, God, you promised me a, 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 a child. And through this child, you said, you, you told me bef- even when I was in my hometown of Ur, you told me that um, to, to, to leave my city and that you were going to bless me, and I was going to be a father of a multitude of many of, of many people. And uh, through my seed, through my gene pool, the world was going to be blessed. And here I am, I'm 99 years old, and there is no child. Where's the child? And God said, this time next year, you're going to have a child. (laughs) Abraham's like, well, I'm 99 years old, so if I do the math, that means I'll be 100. How is that possible? Oh, and by the way, like Sarah, God, in case you haven't noticed, she's like 89 right now. She will be 90 years old. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to her first child. Some of you in your 30s, or maybe you're like waiting to get married, and you're like, when am I going to get married? I want to have children. Like, Sarah was 90 years old. What was the point? The point was that God is all-sufficient. Abraham, you're not sufficient for this. Sarah, you're not sufficient for this. But I am. I am sufficient. I am El Shaddai. Like, I, I, I... I am the one where you can find your sufficiency, and and there's another name that we are introduced to, and and that is uh, Adonai, means sovereign one, that everything happens with purpose because God is sovereign. I said this in that sermon when we addressed, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, I, I, I we looked at that. There's some truth to that, but uh, I said in that sermon, if God is Adonai, if He is the sovereign one, then then, it, then there's no room in God's universe for karma, luck, or chance. Period. And we looked at Job. Job suffered. And even though Adonai, the name of God's name, Adonai, is not used in Job, his sovereignty is all through Job's life. In fact, what is used multiple times in the book of Job is Shaddai, you know, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. But uh, God's sovereignty is seen all throughout the book of Job. There's this verse in Isaiah chapter 46. Let's read this together, ready? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. There is no karma in God's universe. There is no luck in God's universe. There is no chance in God's universe. There is purpose and design in your life, even in the midst of the bad things. Like, God does not take naps. I say this frequently. He doesn't go on vacation. Like, what's happening in the Ukraine, God didn't say, whoops, that, that slipped my, my, my attention. Like, like, there's a design and purpose behind all this. Now, can we wrap our minds around what that purpose is? No, I can't. Why, why does God allow disease? Why does he why does he allow, you know, hurricanes to level, you know, cities? Why, why, why does he allow somebody who's evil to, bring his, to invade another country? Why, why does he allow those things? What I do know is he's good. What I do know is he's sovereign. What I do know is he doesn't need to improve upon himself. And what I do know is that he's for me, and he's not against me, and he's equally for you and not against you. If you are a son or a daughter of the living God, if you place your faith and trust in him. And so, it's, it's, so uh, Jesus was asked the question, like, hey, there are these Galilean Hebrew people who who loved you, and they were worshiping, and then and then they were slaughtered, they were murdered in the in the middle of their worship of of you, of of Yahweh. What did they do to deserve that? Were they, were they guilty of some horrible sin? And Jesus said, well, let me, you know, while we're talking about that, let's talk about the tower that crushed a bunch of people. You know, these people weren't trying to push the tower down. They were walking by, and the tower came down and crushed them, and they died. Were they worse than anybody else in Jerusalem? And, uh, and, God, and, and Jesus said, you know, you're asking the wrong question. The right question is, why didn't the tower fall upon you? Like, the right question for us is, why didn't the tower fall upon us? Why? Because we're all sinners. Like, we're... we're bad things happen to bad people. And we're all bad. Like, the psalmist said, in sin, I was conceived. It says that um, all of us were born... At odds with God, all of us were born as an a, a, as an enemy of God. That's our posture. We run from God like a thief runs from a cop. You know, there there's a greater tower that we deserve. I mentioned this in that sermon. There's a greater tower that we deserve to have fall upon us, and that greater tower is the wrath of God. But here's the thing, that greater tower fell upon a person who was perfectly good, who did not deserve anything bad to happen to him. And that person is Jesus. It fell upon him. And so there's this passage in Jeremiah uh, 23 where it's speaking of Jesus. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Meaning out of his gene pool, this king is going to come through David. David is a descendant of Abraham, by the way. Uh, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You know, Yahweh Siskenu. That's is, is what it's it saying. Like, this, and it's speaking of a person, and a person is Jesus Christ. I said in that sermon, I said, here's one for the Jehovah Witnesses you can draw their attention to. Who's this talking about, and why is he called Yahweh? This should be capital L-O-R-D. It's in your Bible. It's, it's that way. Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. We need a righteousness that is not our own, and that righteousness is in Jesus. I said this, and, and, and for me, this is such good news for me. It doesn't matter how often I read my Bible although it's really important that we read our Bibles. It doesn't matter how often I attend church, although that's really important that we gather together. In fact, we're commanded to do that. Um, But it doesn't matter what I do or what I don't do when it comes to my righteousness, because I have no righteousness in me that I'm able to generate on my own that's that's pleasing to God. I need a a righteousness that's an alien righteousness. I need the righteousness of Christ. And so your righteousness and my righteousness are always perfect because God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is always before the Father. It's such an important thing to, to remember. And the only reason why that's the case is because the tower of God's wrath fell upon Jesus instead of us. And then I, you know, I looked at the statement, you know, money is the root of all evil, which is just a misquote. Money is, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil because because man's heart is evil. <laughs> That's the real issue. Like Tim Keller said, the heart is, a, is, is an idol factory. That's the issue. We take the good things that God gives us and we tend to make them ultimate things. We make things that like... We can make camping, I said camping, I'm, so, you know, I'm not sorry. <laughs> camping, we can make, uh, we, we can make our, our, our business, we can make our, our you know, money, we can make a our, our relationship, we can make those things into ultimate things where they become a God to us and we worship them. And you know that it's a God to you because your affection for those things is greater than the affection for God. Anytime your affection is greater for the things, the good things that God has given to you or gifted to you, And those affections outweigh the affection you have for God. You've made an idol of it. You know when you think when you you know idols are are things that promise make promises that are dependent upon our ability to fulfill those promises. Idols are those things that we feel we cannot live without. Idols are those things that if they were removed from us will crush us, destroy us. Money is not the root of all evil because man's heart is. Our hearts are. In Jeremiah chapter 2, in the New Living Translation, I think I I really like the way that they um, translated it. It's actually a a good translation of this verse. Let's read this together. Ready? The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord, for my people have done two evil things, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That's what idolatry looks like. We trade in our stuff, or we trade in God for our stuff. Like, I'm going to seek my joy and my satisfaction in the stuff instead of the Creator who's given those things to me. And, uh, and so Abraham was asked by God, or told by God, here, I want you, after he had Isaac, he said, I want you to take your son... And by the way, in case you're wondering, Abraham, who I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Ishmael. <laughs> I'm talking about your one and only son, the son of promise, the son that you love. I mean, read the language in in, in I think it was uh, Genesis chapter 22. He said, "I want you to take that son. And I want you to sacrifice that, that son to me, unto me." And so Abraham did that. He, well, he didn't carry it out, but he he was willing to do it. And so he took his son to the place where he would sacrifice him and. He said to the servants that were with him, hey, uh, we're going up there, and then the ch- this child and I will come back. So Abraham expected, even if, I, even if I kill this child, God is going to resurrect him. What Abraham didn't know is that it was a portrait or it was a picture of what God would do one day, many, many years later, through God's own son. And so you know, it's kind of an interesting story. Isaac said, you know, Dad... Um, you know I see the altar, I, I see everything for the sacrifice, but I don't see the sacrifice. I think Isaac was putting two and two together what's so what's going on? And then just picture Abraham tying him up because he had to tie him up, tied him up, taking out the knife. Uh, dad, <laughs> where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, "Well, the Lord will provide the sacrifice um, And he did. God stopped him like he had to th- the knife to to his son's throat, and it was as if the trigger was already pulled, and God said, no, do not kill your son. Now that I know that you will not withhold even the most precious thing in your life from me, because I am your satisfaction. And it was a picture of what God will do for his son. And Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. God is for you, he's not against you. I said last week that he is a better father than you ever could be, men. And he loves his children. And then we looked at the, you know, just follow your heart statement. Don't follow your heart. (laughs) That's what the Bible teaches us. Don't follow your heart because it's a liar. Our hearts are deceitful. Uh, That's literally what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter fourteen verse twelve says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death." And so our hearts are deceitful, the Bible says in Jeremiah seventeen verse nine. Our hearts are deceitful, and we need Jehovah ra which is the Lord my shepherd. That's who we need. We need one who will guide us and lead us to life. Psalm the twenty third Psalm, which you're familiar with. That's where the name. That's where we're introduced. To that name Jehovah Ra uh, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd I shall not want let's read this together ready he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake that's who we need like our heart is a is a def- like the seat of our emotions is a defective compass Don't follow your heart. Follow the good shepherd. And Jesus said, hey, the person that the psalmist was talking about, the person David was referring to, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Follow me and I'll lead you to life. And then remember the sermon uh, like three weeks ago. I had a baby bottle. Like my kid, my boys thought it was the weirdest thing watching me drink from a baby bottle. Uh, I was clearing my throat the whole second service because the first service I was sipping on that bottle. And I, you know, and I asked you, does this look? Does it seem weird to you, like that I would be drinking from a bottle? Of course it's weird, uh, and that was the point. Like, like if you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You shouldn't be uh, sipping milk for the duration of your Christian life. You were made for the meat of God's word, for spiritual meat. You were made to grow, just like your baby is made to. You know, for those of you when you know when you were new parents, your child was not meant to be a, a baby, to have his or her diaper changed for the rest of his or her life. Your child was made to live. We are made to live. As as sons and daughters of the living God, those who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith and trust in him. We were made to grow. And we're encouraged to, find, to taste and see that God is good. Psalm, is it? Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good, that he's good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What does that look like? You find your life and your satisfaction in him. Oh, fear the Lord, all you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Like, we were made to, 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 to experience Him and to know that He's good. Like, He loves you. If you're a Christian in this room, He loves you as a son or as a daughter. In Habakkuk chapter 3, you know, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Even when everything is stripped from you, you'll find and discover that God is still good. Even though the fig tree do not, does not blossom, or, or the fruit be cut off from the vines, or the produce of the olive fail, and the Fields yield no food. Even if I lose everything, even if I lose everything, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's And it's this God, if you're a Christian, this is the God that you call Father. And then we looked at the statement as you know, the statement, Heaven Gained Another Angel, which I've heard a bunch of times, especially at funerals. And I said, man, if you really believe that, you're setting the bar really, really low. If you're a Christian, and when you die, you don't become an angel. You, you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God. You are, you are betrothed to the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. The Bible says that the bride of Christ will judge angels one day. That's who you are. And if you're not a Christian, you're, not gonna, you're definitely not going to become an angel. But you'll go to the place that's reserved for the, for the demons and for the devil, which is hell. I talked about that. And, the, and we're told that the, that the angels, they marvel at this. They marvel at this. like, Wow. You mean these people who were running from, the, from, from Yahweh, who didn't want anything to do with Him, were postured as enemies against Him, that this God pursued them? This is something that, he, that, that God never did with the angels. He, so He pursued them, and, and redeems them and rescues them. And the way that he did it was that he took on human flesh and the person of, of, of Jesus Christ, and, and he, he lived this perfect life and rubbed shoulders and got in the dirt with these sinful human beings. And then he went to a cross and, and, and underwent the wrath of God the Father in their place. Like, our minds are blown. The angels marvel at this. And if you're a Christian in this room, you've experienced that. You've experienced that. <clears throat> and that it, is, it is God that caused you to be born again. He does the impossible. He is Jehovah Nissi. He is the Lord my banner. I need a righteousness that is not my own. And it is God who provides it. And in and, and, and Him is where I find my identity. And then finally, God is Abba. He is Abba. He is daddy. That's literally what it means. He is daddy to those who have been redeemed. If you are a Christian, you can cry out to God with the word daddy. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. If you're not a Christian, before you leave here, you can experience that same thing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, rose on the third day, and uh, and that by doing that, that 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 was enough for you to have your sins forgiven. But God is Abba to those who have been redeemed. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 begins with, Behold, look at this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. You are a child of God if you place your faith and trust in Him. To be born of God is to be a member of His family. And the evidence that you are a member of His family is that you love Him. Galatians says, uh, chapter four says, and because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit, or sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a what, a slave, but a what, a son. You know what that means, <laughs> okay, ladies. You're not, you're part of this. <laughs> That's firstborn son. That that there are rights and privileges that come with first, the firstborn son in the in the ancient, um, ancient uh, Rome and ancient Israel. And it's saying that men and women who have been redeemed by this God have the rights and privileges of a firstborn child. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. That's you, that's me. The worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song. And I'll, after the song's over, I'm going to close in prayer. But um, they're going to lead us in a song. But I just want to just help you see this or maybe help you wrap your mind around this. The God who called Moses out of the burning bush, delivered the Hebrew people from the bondage of slavery with one of the world powers of their day is the God that you are invited to call Abba Father if you're a Christian. The same God who miraculously called Abraham and Sarah out of Ur and enabled them at a very old age to have a child, physical child, is the same God who is... You're all-sufficient, God, that, you are allowed, that you're permitted to call and invited to call Abba, Father. The same God who sustained Job through the shattering of his dreams and the ashes of what he once held dear is the same God that you were able to cry out to as Abba, Father. The same God who manipulated all of history so that his son would be born of a virgin to live a life that we could never live and die a death that we all deserve. Is the same God that you can call Abba Father. Are you getting it? Are you wrapping your mind around that? that you're the God of creation who spoke the galaxies into existence is your daddy. He's not a child abuser. He is invested in you. He loves you. Not because you deserved it, but because he loves you. Period. The same God who spoke into existence that which did not exist. And is able to provide a way when there is no way, is the God that you call Daddy. The same God who leads his people through the valley of the shadow of death is the same God that you can call Daddy. The same God who is good is the same God you can call Daddy. The one who raises up kingdoms and deposes them, you are able to call Daddy. Why? Because he sent his son to die in your place for your sins. And he's provided a way for you to know him. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.